Oh my indeed. Welcome back everyone to the Sports Bits Podcast with Moco. Here to talk about all things Florida Gators football and Boston Celtics. Follow me on Twitter uh, at Sports Bits Pods to get updates on when I upload. I will also be tweeting out live takes and reactions of the games being played that day or any new updates that come out. I'll probably retweet it or even tweet it out myself. My, my own like personal take on it. But yeah, if you're listening on Spotify or Apple, or Apple Podcast, just subscribe. And if you're on Apple, especially if you're on Apple, uh, leave that five-star review. That'd be much appreciated. And if you're on YouTube, just subscribe, share the podcast, like it, whatever you got to do. Let's get this uh, podcast out there. Get some names, get some heads to the podcast. And yeah, that's really it. Let's go right into the content. There's not much just because of the all-star break. So we had one game to talk about, which is the Raptors game. And like, there's a few things I want to talk about that. Let's go into that first. So my, my first thing was... Um, the Celtics defense was completely atrocious without in the, the and the not to mention the Raptors didn't have uh, Fred Van Fleet or Pascal Siakam and the team defense during that game was a 127, which is atrocious yeah. for most teams. And like, what can you comment on that uh, about, especially with the Raptors without having Van Fleet and, and Siakam? I mean, overall, it was just like an extremely poor defensive game, but from both sides, which is why it was such a, uh, such a high scoring uh, game but uh I mean like the 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 Raptors bench like barely went deep at all like you you had you had the starting five and you had three people coming off the bench and played uh with Chris Boucher and uh and Terrence Davis playing like around like 25 minutes on average from both of them combined um and uh or 30 minutes my apologies and uh you know, it, it, it was kind of depressing to see from the Raptors considering that their main players are pretty much out in, in past LC Atham and Fred Van Fleet. But um, I did like the performance that the Celtics bench showed. They had a lot of depth in that game. And, um, you know, it, it pulled out well for them in the end. Like like we said uh, earlier, though, it was just a poor defensive game overall. But I'm glad that the Celtics pulled out the dub. And um, hopefully uh, in the second half of the season, they'll pull out some more. Yeah, and I forgot to mention that Reed is not here today, so it's just going to be me and James. And it's just yeah. and like there's not much much content to talk about, but it's more important that Reed was here for later, and we'll get into that later because Good he's a Nets work. fan, and you probably know what the news <laughs> is if you're listening to this about the Nets. But yeah, I mean, I, you brought up Chris Boucher, which is a great because I was going to bring him up and say he scored 30 points off the bench, which is a great stat line for a bench player, and especially since yep. pa- uh, Pascal Siakam was out, and he's getting a mm-hmm. lot of the uh, I guess power forward minutes compared to I guess there's no really other serviceable power forward on that team so i guess chris Boucher did get his like shining moment you know i would yeah. say that and also you For brought sure. up the, the depth you know eight celtics players scored over 10 points which was solid mm-hmm. you know we had like three guys who scored 10 one guy 14 on the bench you know our of course our starters did pretty well and it's just like that's the overall thing i also looked at like the pacing of the game like the plus minuses i'm starting to get more into that and it looks like the, the raptors were actually keeping up in the first half like looking at the point like the totals the point totals by the end oh, of that yeah. half and it looks like everyone was playing pretty well. And then it just completely just went downhill for the Raptors at the second half. And I don't know what happened there. And I didn't yeah. think they would like fall off that quick, but I guess they did. You know, I don't know if you have anything to add on that. Uh, just that, like, I mean, it was just shocking that they're like, 
they pretty much were they I mean they were leading when going into halftime and um you know they just completely dropped the ball in the third quarter and they picked it up back they picked it back up in the fourth but they arguably could have easily win, won this game it, had they played better in the in the third quarter I mean they only had 22 points compared to the Celtics 35 so you know, with that just being said, you can kind of tell where the game went after that. I mean, the Celtics were relatively consistent throughout all three quarters or throughout all four quarters um, with staying above 30 points uh, each each quarter. So, I mean, the fact that the Raptors scored 22 is just like what happened at, at in the locker room after after halftime, man. I mean, it was uh, it was just kind of mind-boggling and watching it as well as just looking back at the stats. I mean, minus how well they'd scored, like having an eight-man deep bench, but I think we did pretty – we did really well keeping up and also scoring really well, like showing – our bench players showed that they can score efficiently, you know, when they need to. So I think that's a good sign for the future. But, yeah, okay. there's not really much else to talk about unless you have any final comments. Like if you shake – just shake your head if you don't got anything. No? Um, I mean, like – yeah, nah, not really. <laughs> yeah, it's exactly what I thought. But I think more importantly, I want to move into the All-Star break because that we didn't really have any games after the Raptors game, and we'll have a game yeah. tonight that uh, me and Reed are actually going to watch. It's Nets versus Celtics, and we're probably going to go super hard on that. Yes, sir. But, yeah, it's going to be a funny game. Like, whoever wins is probably going like, to bantered the crap out of tonight. But let's go into the <laughs> All-Star break and talk about the performance of Brown and Tatum during the All-Star game. I think that's the only thing I really want to highlight. The three-point contest was kind of a easy dub by Curry. But I think I'm going to compare their stats real quick, and it just makes a few points about them that, like, I've been trying to push. So Jalen Brown actually got 26 minutes playing on LeBron's team, and Jason Tatum got 17 minutes on Durant's team. And they both scored, you know, equally at 21, uh, 22 for Brown, 21 for Tatum. But the shooting was very different. So Jalen Brown had was 8 for 12 uh, regular field goal and then 5 for 7 at three-point compared to Tatum's 9 for, nine for 16 and 3 for 9 at three-point. And that's just, you know, that shows that my point of that just Brown is just a scorer. And I think he's a really good scoring piece. Like he's not really a leader, but he's a really good, like secondary complimentary piece. And not to mention looking Definitely. at the, there are other stats like Jalen Brown only had five rebounds, three steal, two steals that were like, that's the only stat lines that seem to pop out compared to Tatum's seven assists and four steals that shows right. that he can do other things other than score. But he, I think Tatum's not really that scoring type. That's why he needs, he compliments Brown and his play style. And this kind of shows it because this is playing against like all-star superstar level guys. This is like the stat lines they put up against those type of guys, you know, defense, they don't play as hard in the all-star game, but this is like a good, like little insight. It's not like truly what it w- they would actually perform against, but I think yeah. this is like a good, like first look of how they would play against like these type of players. You know? Yeah. And especially since like the, uh, since they changed the formatting of the all-star game to where it's like they have this set score per quarter, um, it makes it a lot more enjoyable and a lot for the players as well as the fans because they, uh, you know, they've had a lot of trouble with trying to gain traction with um, with the All-Star game in previous years. And um, since they changed the formatting to it, it's more intense played because everybody, everybody missed that. And, you know, back in the 2000s, you know, all these guys were, you know, going balls to the wall on, you know, on every play to make sure that they won the game, even if it was just, you know, a BS all-star game. Now it's a lot more enjoyable to watch because we are seeing that come back a little bit. So I think that, you know, the way that Jalen Brown played, I totally agree. I mean, he's, he it is clear that he's the pure scorer 
not that he can't do anything else on top of that, but I mean, he's, he's definitely his, his threat is scoring. And with Jason Tatum, I think that he can, he, that's why he's the, the star of the Celtics. You know, he can facilitate a little bit more. He can, he can grab a lot of boards. He can most likely get a triple double if he really tried hard enough to get it. But I mean, that's clearly not his main focus on, unlike some other players in the, in the NBA, <coughs> Westbrook. Um, but, <laughs> <laughs> but um, yeah, I mean, I think that, you know, Tatum, Tatum, we're starting to see the light at the end of the tunnel with him. You know, he, he's starting to develop a lot, a lot more and more, more quickly. And he's gaining a lot more traction throughout, uh, throughout each season that he's getting better. And, um, you know, him having Jalen Brown as his second guy or in his second option on the court, like they, they should be improving a lot. And I think that hopefully, which we'll talk about later, that it'll, it'll uh, coincide with the second half of the season. Yeah, not to mention that Tatum performed really well having less minutes. He had let me do the math, nine less minutes than Brown, yeah. and he had a comparable numbers, even though his shooting efficiency was not as high. Mm-hmm. But, you know, it's it's fine. You know, he's Tatum's not really meant to be that all all type of scorer like Harden or even Braylon Brown, if you want to even put his name out there. But, yeah, that's really right. all I really picked out from the All-Star game. I mean, that's like – it's just good to see Celtics Celtic guys performing well in the all-star game to show that they have this potential to play really well against all-star type players and, sure. and uh, superstar type players. So yeah. Dunk contest is trash. Yeah. Oh, I mean, I think we've been spoiled with Aaron <laughs> Gordon and Zach Levine the past few years. Sure. And that's probably why, <laughs> like even last year's dunk contest was better just because like we've ha- never seen this stuff before, but you know, I think they get, there's some of the guys they need to get more creative. I think they can't just do the normal type of stuff anymore. They got to pull sure. out some crazy stuff or like some, you know, if someone can eventually do it like a three court, dunk which is like almost physically impossible but if someone does that i think they automatically win they should just automatically win <laughs> and uh sabonis won the skills challenge yeah eh, no one cares yeah. anyway <laughs> no, one cares. <laughs> no one cares Let's, okay so the main question i want to bring up uh, especially since it's the uh, end of the all-star break is the question of what do the celtics need to do in the second half of the season to prepare for the playoffs or be ready for the playoffs especially since we've seen their up and down performance in the first half of the season uh, James, what is your first thought on what they need to do? Immediately, my first thought goes to it. Um, oh, wait, can I pause on, Pause real, question? Yeah, yeah, uh, real quick? Real yeah, quick. So, forgot to mention the trade deadline is on March 25th. So, they only have 14 okay, days to make, or not 14, not, not, yeah, they have 14 days to make a uh, legit trade before the trade deadline closes, of course. And we're recording this on the 11th. So, they do have 14 days till the 25th. Yeah. Yeah, I didn't even think about that. It's coming yep. up. But uh, um, yeah, I mean, the, the first thing that immediately comes to mind is work on defense and switching and make, even if you have to go into a zone. I mean, all of the, even during uh, the, the 2018 playoffs when the Raptors went to the finals, they were playing the zone compared to uh, the rest of the, the teams in, in the playoffs. So it's like, you know, it, as long as you can get your defense completely coordinated and set and everybody's comfortable with it, then it will be a lot easier to transition into the offense after that because you know as as much as offensive as offenses yeah offense is extremely important in the NBA defense I would argue is more valuable and if your whole team can come together and have a great defense then it'll 
it'll translate into the offense after that. And you'll get a lot more fast break points. You'll get a lot more steals. You'll get a lot less fouling. You'll, you know, if there are a lot of more turnovers from the opposing team, you know, it's, it, it translates to the offensive game on the other side of the court. So I, I, that's the first one that comes to mind. The second uh, one, that let's, comes let's to mind, uh, also put out the example of the uh, Miami heat 2020 team, uh, really good defense translates to, and they were a fast team. So their, tra- their fast break points were off the charts compared to most teams. Exactly. And I think that's where the Celtics shine personally. I think they, they don't like, I, they don't really run a too many set offenses. They really mm-hmm. like to just, I think they get most of their, like most of their efficient points come from the fast break. So I think that actually could be a, a recipe for success if, if Brad, Steven, Brad Stevens wants to pursue that. Definitely. And then the, the, sec- the other thing that uh, I would also add is to get your young guys involved, man. I mean, you know, it, they've been doing their part throughout the season, you know, like guys like Peyton Pritchard, guys like Robert Williams, guys like Grant Williams, you know, all those young guys that are deep in, into the bench, get them more involved. Play, let them play 25 minutes a game, you know, see what they can do and how they work with the stars during the starting lineup, you know, because I think that not that I'm starting to warm up to Brad, how Brad Stevens is coaching this season, but, um, you know, if you can get those young guys to have good chemistry with the stars, then your whole team is involved at that point and you can consistently go 10 guys deep a night. You know, and if you're doing that every night, then it's going to be a lot harder for NBA uh, for opposing NBA teams to look at um, re, uh, highlight reels and try and you know see how they can uh, you know hold them back, you know, in in some respect. And uh, and so if you're p- playing like ten guys a night, then it'll be a lot easier to win those type of games because it'll be a lot more unpredictable for more of those players. Yeah, I mean, if you look at an example, I think it's the 2018 team with Kyrie getting injured and having Terry Rozier step up. Yeah, and I think better. like I think Brad Stevens is like we may not see it as much, but I think his like strength is working with young guys, like mm-hmm. putting them in, like incorporating those guys in the lineup and utilizing their strengths to the fullest. Like there, he's the type of coach where like he he's played in the college system, so like he played for Butler and Gordon Hayward, yeah. so he knows how to use young guys really well compared to most coaches in the NBA. That's why a lot of rookies get like, you know, the back end of the back end of the the stick from the from every other team because I don't think the coaches know how to run young guys compared to Brad Stevens. And I think that's his strength, especially when Kyrie went down. And that's why we made that run to the conference championship, Eastern Conference Championship, and almost won. We went took it to seven games against LeBron, which is great For to sure. see. And that's also when Tatum and Brown weren't as developed and they were still like their raw like selves, like their first couple of years. So I think with you know, maybe Pritchard could be the next Terry Rozier or something like that. We can have Robert maybe. Williams play the center minutes, even though we had Al Horford back in the day, which is, I think, something we miss having that veteran center, that veteran anchor, and on the def- on the defense, uh, like right in the middle of the right in the middle of the court, I know uh, you uh, right in the middle of the front court, of course. But you know, like, I think that's the one thing we're missing. I think Tristan Thompson is a great substitute, and we have Daniel Tice as an offensive center, so we have that. We I think we have center covered, like it's not like solid, like you no, know, not having like an AD type or like a Clint Capella but I think yeah, there's you can do better but you could do worse yeah and that's funny enough that um like also thinking about what they could do like before the trade deadline a lot of rumors have been coming out with um them looking looking into trades for like Jeremy Grant or an Andre Drummond 
you know, right. those type of guys, big men that are like really efficient at what they do would be also a really good benefit for the Celtics, especially Jeremy Grant. I think if we could pull off a Jeremy Grant trade, I would, I would do it in a heartbeat. I'd be over I would, the moon. yeah, I'd be over the moon for that. That would be great. I think that that would be the, the best move that they could do before the trade deadline. Yeah, he brings offense and defense, especially his defense is really underrated compared to most players. Mm-hmm. And I think he could really anchor the defense like Al Horford did back in the day. He, he can run small ball and have Jeremy Grant at the five, run Tatum at the four, Brown at the three, Smart at the two, whoever at the one, Pritchard, whoever. Point being that, or even Kemba, because we're probably not going to be able to trade Kemba, because a lot of people are saying now, like, no one's interested in Kemba now after his performance in the first half of the season. So I think right. we just got to run with Kemba. I think he's like, he's, he's on and off. So like, we just hope he peaks at the right times during the playoffs or even towards, towards the end of the season. That's what yeah, I'm hoping Kemba. for, but yeah. we'll, we will see. Cause like, he's really unpredictable. Like he's not consistent as like Brown or Tatum is relative to most of the players. For sure. I mean, there's not really much else I could think of other than, you know, just work get the young guys, some experience, you know, make a big time trade if you need to. If not, we just need to find some young guys who really could step up in the playoffs and towards the end of the season. That's really all I can think of right now, unless you have anything else to add to that. No, I think you basically uh, cleared everything. That, uh, and, you know, you elaborated a little bit better on what I said as well. Yeah. <laughs> so, yeah, no, I think you covered everything. Yeah, I've been following this very closely because, like, a lot – of course, the trade deadline's in 14 days. So, I kind of trying to hoping that yeah. – kind of hoping that, you know, the Celtics do make a big trade for, like, a Jeremy Grant's hype. If not – I think we have potential on the bench. So we'll see yeah. how that goes. But and yeah, I let's move on to uh, what's what's up. I, I was just going to say, and I think it'll be interesting in two weeks to talk about uh, all the trades that happened right before the deadline. Yeah, especially ones that affect the Celtics the most. Cause that's what I'm worried about. Like if, exactly. if the Nets acquired some crazy player or like the Bucks acquire some other crazy player, then we're screwed, I think. Like I'm not going to I'm not going to be a pessimist yet, but like if something happens that like, you know, the, the Bucks get like, I don't know, Clint Capella, not Clint Capella. They, they need like more of a, yeah, like if they get – yeah, I know. I hope not, but like someone like really a really good point, like Alonzo Ball type, maybe for like a facilitator, yeah, sure. or like the Nets. Apparently, the Nets are interested in Alonzo Ball, or the the Nets or the Knicks are interested. In I Alonzo think it was Ball. the Knicks. Yeah, yeah the Knicks are interested Knicks. in Alonzo Ball, which will also be a very interesting piece to add to that little chemistry in the backcourt. But we don't know. We'll wait till the trade deadline. We'll talk about all the trades, at least in the East and maybe some in the West that would probably that would affect the Celtics in the future. But yeah, sure. let's bring it on to the one minute hot take. And sadly, Reed's not here. This is what I was talking about. We're going to talk about the Blake Griffin signing that he, uh, the um, the Pistons paid his buyout, and now he, he was an unrestricted unrestricted free agent, and now is signing with the uh, the Nets. And so, my question for the hot one minute hot take is: Is Blake Griffin uh, going to make a difference in the East or even for the Nets in general? And my answer to that is no. And the only reason why I say that is because Harden. Uh, Kyrie and KD will totally hold down the ship along with Blake Griffin coming off the bench. He's not going to be doing a lot for them. Yeah. He'll help a little bit. And it's, you know, good that he's on the team. First of all, I don't really, I, I was shocked to find out that he paid a vet men for, um, or he got paid a vet men to join the Nets. And that just shows me how badly he's ring chasing at this point in his career. But, um, you know, I, I, I don't think that he'll be a drastic help. You know, he, and the, the fact that he's turned a lot more into, like, a shooter type and is taking a lot more threes and, like, not taking any dunks. Like, he, he's, he's become more of an average player in the NBA. And I hate to say that because, you know, he was so great back in the early 10s. But, um, you know, he, it, it's just it's a shame to see 
his athletic ability go to waste a little bit. And I hope that we see that a little bit uh, come back with the Nets. But in my opinion, the way that he's been he's been playing for the past couple of years on the Pistons, I don't I don't I don't see a, a drastic change in the Nets' performance. Yeah, I mean, it's funny enough that uh, we're talking about Blake Griffin in the 2010s because I was actually a fan of the Clipper team back when they had Lob City with DeAndre, Blake Griffin, and Chris Paul. That was my team next to the Celtics, of course. But, you know, I was a big fan of what they did. You know, Chris Paul being like he was my type of player, like a very good facilitator, great ball handler. You know, he can score really well, like on on his spots. And then we had like these two big guys running the the front court. You know, just seeing him like – like regress to where he is now is kind of sad just because he's getting older and he's starting to lose that athleticism that pop he had back in the 2010s back with uh, the Clippers. And it's just, you know, and that's why he's taking more shots. He's like turning into like a veteran, like Vince Carter. Like if you look at Vince Carter from back when he was super uh, athletic, when he was young, and then now he's like, before he retired last year, he was, you know, just that veteran guy played like 10, 15 minutes, did what he yeah. had to do, you know, just trying to trying to keep up. But yeah, like it's, it's kind of sad to see. And like, it's, it's going to happen. I think another player, the next player that's going to happen to this or this hap- the next player that's going to have the same effect is going to happen to them is uh, Russell Westbrook, just because he was always an athletic guy and he yeah. needs that athleticism to be really well. He's keeping up pretty well, like with his re- regiment and stuff. But I think eventually he'll, he'll eventually have to regress. His athleticism is going to eventually take a step down compared to what I it agree. used to be. I agree. And unfortunately. It, it really does suck, but I think Blake Griffin will be fine on like, especially as a bench role, like, you know, getting his points, that he needs to help helping that bench unit out. I think that he'll be a good piece for that, especially because he's only paid the minimum. So it doesn't really mm-hmm. hit their cap too much when you're playing those three all-stars, all that money. <laughs> yeah. But, but yeah, it's great. He's a great complimentary piece, I guess, to add. And you can run small ball with him if you really wanted to. You can put Kyrie, um, Kyrie, um, Harden, and Katie, uh, Blake Griffin at the five, and you put whoever else on the, on the court. But yeah, I think that could it could work. I, I don't think Blake Griffin's going to be as much of an impact as he used to be. He'll just be that solid... I guess he'd be like a like a a better shooting Tristan Thompson if I had to compare it to a Celtics player. Um, if I had to compare it to a Suns player, I'd say that he would be similar to Jay Crowder. Yeah, uh, Jay Crowder, worse. but way bigger <laughs> and probably better. At, I, I actually I can't say they're comparable at defense. I would say, but I think yeah. Jay Crowder's more of a perimeter guy compared to a Blake Griffin's more of a front court uh, center guy, but. You know, they they do what they need to do. They they have their roles. They know what they know what they have they have to do to just perform well and not you know overstep some of the players that are already on that team. I think yeah, as you said, Blake Griffin's ring chasing just because he yeah. he never won a ring with the Clippers, which really is sad because I was hoping that Clippers Lob City team would win a win a ring, but they didn't. Yeah, and now I think, I think he's I think he's trying to yeah. solidify his his career with a ring. I think that's good for him. I think he should just get a ring and just retire at this rate. I agree. I agree. As I don't think actually did Vince Carter ever win a ring? Win a ring? No, no? I don't think he did. Oh my god, that's so sad. He might have won one with Dallas. No. Uh, yeah, I don't think. Wait, he was that when it, when uh, when they had Dirk Nowinski and all that? Yeah, they beat the Heat. And the, um, he might have been on that team. I would. I he can't. Don't quote me on that. But <laughs> yeah, neither. <laughs> yeah, but I, it was just like those kind of players. It sucks that if they don't win a ring, you know. Because I, yeah. I think there were, like, at least in my life, he was a big impact on, like, why I loved basketball, having Lob City. I had, like, L.A. Clippers banners and stuff. I had a ha- L.A. Clippers hat because just because <laughs> of how much fun it was to watch that team play. Like, seeing that lob up from CP3 to DeAndre Jordan for the slam. It was just so much fun. Jamal Crawford uh, through the leg. Oh, my God. Jamal Crawford with his handles. Like, he had better handles than CP3 and just, like, doing all his stuff. 
it was uh, so much fun to watch. As I said, that was like the days. thing that the 26, 2006 Celtics team with Kevin Garnett, Ray Allen, and the Lob City was the teams that really got me into basketball. And yeah. as I said, this is kind of hurting my soul a little bit with Blake Griffin. But <laughs> hopefully he wins a ring. I'm rooting for him. I'm rooting for him. I'm yeah. not rooting for the Nets. I'm rooting for him. I'm rooting for him Same. as a player. Same. But yeah, that's that's really it, unless you have any other comments about Blake Griffin. Because uh, um, you know, I just I just hope that he does well for the rest of his career. If he doesn't win a ring this year, then I hope that he stays a little bit longer, and um, hopefully he doesn't fade like um, like Vince Carter did a little bit. As as sad as that was as well for him to retire last year, and no one really wanted to see him retire. We all thought that he was just going to stay in the NBA forever, but. You know, he, he, they're just those type of players. I mean, the, the good thing at the end of the day is that we, we know that they're both going to easily make the Hall of Fame. Yeah, so just because yeah. not not because they won rings, but the impact on the game they had. Exactly. And like the, how many like how many hearts they've touched over the years, especially ours, over like from what they did in the NBA. Like they're they weren't as good as LeBron, but they definitely had a different, more emotional impact on the game than definitely. you know just winning rings. But yeah, that's really it for the for the podcast. Like, hopefully, we'll have more stuff to talk about in the next week. Hopefully, we'll see see some improvement, which is what I'm hoping for off after the All Star break. You know, getting that week's rest, getting that like you know, giving Brad Stevens some time to like you know think out his game plan a little bit, and he didn't have to do anything for the All Star game, so that's good for him. And he can just focus on the team, focus on himself, and maybe yeah. he'll, we'll see some improvement in the next week. But yeah. That is it for the podcast. I will see y'all next week with the Celtics side of it. But yeah, we're going to move on to the floor side. We got a lot of stuff to talk about. I have two stances uh, I'm going to be talking about with Dan Mullen and also my question I had on the Late Kick podcast. So if you guys want to check out the Late Kick podcast, I'll talk about it more in the next section. But yeah, I'll see y'all. And we are back. All right. So I have two topics today, actually, because I know I said last week that we were going to talk about just Dan Mullen and his quote unquote hot seat. But I also have a topic that came up recently uh, because I won a lottery contest to get on the Late Cake podcast with Josh Pate. And I recommend you listen to that because it's on the uh, I'm actually going to pull up right now so I don't say the episode wrong because I know he was like trying to title that uh, something special and it wasn't really uh, well, he didn't really think of the uh, the title. There it is. So Late Cake uh, Show Owners Association meeting episode one. I am actually featured on that about in like minute 24, 25 ish. I bring up a really good question that actually stumps him for a little bit. And that's kind of like, I I'm proud of that. Cause like, I wanted to bring some good tough questions when I came on the show and like, especially pertains to Florida. So I will be talking about that question and also assuring my point up because in that time in the podcast, I didn't really, you know, articulate and point as well. And also I didn't really have my words formulated correctly. And like, I didn't really have enough to say about it. And I want to like put it on my podcast just to give my full opinion on it. So Let's get on the Dan Mullen hot seat first. I mean, you know, everyone's been, you know, you know, I guess criticizing Dan Mullen for his antics 20, in 2020 and also like his recruiting. So let's just get all that straight that, in my opinion, I think he's a good coach for what he is and like his recruiting can improve. And also his antics were, you know, and what I said in the podcast was I think his antics were some of it I liked and some of it I didn't like. So let's start there. So. The stuff I did like, for example, like some of the stuff that he gets like energized about, like with the team, you know, getting like you see him like before he goes in the halftime, energizing the crowd, coming out of the the halftime, like, energizing the crowd, like being that high energy coach. And also you see that in his press conferences and with the especially with the Darth Gator uh, thing that um, you guys may or may not know about. Like you should look up Darth Gator on YouTube. And you'll see it. He just straight up just dressed up as a as Darth Vader at during the Halloween game uh, last 2020 season. And, you know, I found that really funny and enjoyable. 
you know, it just like adds to his personality, and that's like how I see Denwell and is, and like how he is as a coach, which is kind of fun and it brings a new fresh light to Florida, not being all just serious. You know, you know, we can have like a name Nick Saban type, you know, culture, which is like very strict, process driven, but I feel like that sucks the energy. Uh, of course, you win championships; that's where your energy comes from. But I feel like, you know, if you can't have all the winning without some of the fun, you know, that's how I see it. But like a lot, there's some things I really want to critique about with him. When it came to like game day comments and also some of the antics he did poll during the game, so like we can highlight first the first one, which is the Missouri uh, incident where he was actually somewhat inciting the players to actually f- like conti- like br- basically inciting the brawl and like bringing more players on the bench that he should have instead of actually like trying to calm people down and try to pull his guys away and look like the better person and show that his team that yeah we should not be getting involved in this. And we should be the better person and come out in the second half stronger and play harder to show that we are frustrated at this, you know, incident. I think it was a hit on Kyle Trask what was the thing that incited all the um, the violence but or the fight. But I, I really think Dan Mullen should have been the better man. Like, I think he'll know for the future. I think he will learn from this and, like, be a better person about, like, containing this kind of type of stuff if it happens. Because, you know, when someone when the quarterback gets hit everyone gets mad like the o-line first goes up there to protect their quarterback but then the whole team if it escalates to that will come out and defend their quarterback so that's one thing Danimal really needs to like hopefully calm their team down and be able to keep everything civilized and hopefully just use that as energy and fuel to push the team to say like they just started messing with our quarterback we need to fight back and play better in the next quarter next half so we can show that we are mad and we can beat this team handily that you know will be well. That's the way to show it, not you know insinuating a f- or continuing to insinuate a fight that happens on the field. And another thing that really made me mad was his comment that like his last game uh, during the Cotton Bowl um, game that was a two uh, the second big like I guess antic that really just made me mad. But his comments about the Cotton Bowl saying like you know our best team our team played three weeks ago like what well, like this wasn't you know, our team or whatever. And that's just like really me really mad as a Florida fan. Cause every, I feel like I'm also raised as a Patriots fan. So like having that build Pelagic mindset, we play every game as, as our, as us, as it is the Super Bowl or something of equivalent, just because I know. So we take things game by game. We don't look into the future. We don't look at the, the don't look into the national championship mid season. Like some, of, I think some of the players did, you know, I think we should install that yeah, as I said, like I would like some of the process stuff that Nick Saban has, but I also have some of the fun that Dan Mullen brings. That would be probably the balance I would bring out. And yeah, that just really made me mad. And like I can understand why a lot of Florida fans are really mad about Dan Mullen, Dan Mullen's antics and what he said and what he did last last year. But I think he lo- he'll learn from it, especially since he he probably like a lot of people are saying, especially Josh Pate, who actually got to like give me a little insight on it. But like I think he thought that he wasn't going to be there. He thought he was going to go to the NFL. Because like his contract didn't get renewed, and he has three more years, and usually by now, your contract would be extended if you were you know doing well enough. But I think this 2020 season really set him back, and he has to really prove himself in the next couple of years to get that contract extension if they want to if the if Florida wants to continue having Dan Mullen as his as their coach. And I mean, I would like him to be our coach, but also I've heard a lot of like Georgia insiders say like, you know, are they more afraid of Dan Mullen or a different coach? They're probably more afraid of a different coach just because. You know, we know what Dan Mullen, like, puts out and, like, how to game plan against Dan Mullen, but you don't know what, what another coach could do with the talent and uh, with the talent and resources that Florida has. And especially if they figure it out like Urban Meyer did, that would scare a lot of Georgia fans 
if that ever happens and get another type of Urban Meyer type who is a really good recruiter but also a really good X and O's type type coach. And I mean, I'm trying to like think how I would say this, but yeah. I I think we can win. We can do the same thing again, especially if Dan Mullen improves his recruiting. I think that would be a a tremendous leap in his in his like I guess status as a coach and that would also probably like bring him up to the official first like first place in the be- like first place in like the coaching rankings in Florida if I had to rank coaches so I think with everything included I could potentially say Manny Diaz is number one you can argue that but also I will get into that in the next uh the next uh part of the podcast but for right now I think Dan Mullen's a solid coach and he just needs to improve in his, his recruiting and I think he'll be a solid coach and if he does like get to a good recruiting point in his career, like getting good at like he has like you know Wellesley McGriff and Jules Montanar who are really good recruiters, and I know they're gonna recruit hard. You know, Crime Dog is gonna recruit especially hard because that's what he's especially known for, and everyone respects uh, Wellesley McGriff for being a great recruiter and a great coach in the secondary. So I think he's doing the right moves. I think the next step would be looking at Todd Grantham if he if Todd Grantham cannot prove himself to win or like to produce a decent defense you know every year you know minus 2020 that's when you have to look at uh Todd Grantham and then you would look at the head coach of course that's usually the usually the you know series of events so you look at the assistants and then you look at the head coach then you look or the the uh, the assistant coaches like the are the offensive defensive coordinators correction you look at the assistant coaches then the offensive uh, defensive coordinators then you would look at the head coach so I think the next step is Todd Grantham if the defense continues to struggle and then we look at Dan Mullen because I think if Dan Mullen uh, and I think also we should look at Dan Mullen. His hot seat will get a lot hotter if he can't recruit as well. Like his his recruitment classes like like progressively decreases. Like he went from nine nine to thirteen this year, and if he can't get above at least I think thirteen or t- top ten, then we should be really concerned as recruiting for the recruiting wise. But yeah, that's really like my stance on it. I mean, I like I like him. I mean, I like him for like what he brought to Florida, but also he needs to take some next steps to become a better head coach to be on the same level as, you know, Ryan Day, you know, uh, Urban Meyer, Urban Meyer, uh, Dabo Sweeney. You know, I wouldn't say he will ever reach Nick Staben status, but I think he could definitely, with his, like, attitude and culture, I think he could definitely bring, like, a Dabo Sweeney-type culture that it's, like, you know, very family, very fun, you know, you know, still instill that work ethic to – in Florida, but also have a little fun with it and have these coaches uh, give these players a little bit of like, you know, leeway when it comes to like social media and having a little more fun with their, uh, you know, off field uh, stuff that they do. But yeah, overall, I think I like Dan Mullen. We'll hopefully see that he improves next year uh, with everything and with especially his players now because he, all these players, most of the players that he brought that we bring back in 2021 are his players. So hopefully we can see some, some, you know, improvement from last year's eight and four season. So I'm going to move on to the question I asked on the Lay Kick podcast, and I want to actually give my firm stance on it and actually formulate my words compared to what I, you know, I was given a short amount of time and I didn't really have like, I had to really think on my toes on the answer I wanted to give Josh. But uh, the question was, uh, what was more likely to happen or what is more likely to happen? Miami overtaking Florida as the number one team or FSU overtaking Miami as the number two team. So I'm just going to go a little deeper into that. Like, you know, I, he said that he'll, he thinks Miami will overtake Florida first over FSU taking Miami. So I am coming into the stance of looking at potential with Mike Norvell and the potential with actually Dan Mullen, because I think Dan Mullen can hold that number one spot if he improves his recruiting. I think, I think once he gets like, 
you know, a year or two more into him, I think he'll be a better recruiter. And I, I'm always going to pull for Dan Mullen because I am a Florida Gator fan and I run a Florida Gators podcast. But I think he'll definitely improve and also be on the level, at least on the level of Matty Diaz. If, if he gets on the same level as Matty Diaz in recruiting, I think we'll be solid as a program because especially how good Dan Mullen is during, like, during the season and game day. He's one of the best coaches I've seen in a while. Like, I mean, I love what he does, how he game plans. So I think that's going to keep it solid, keep him solid at number one until he gets his recruiting fixed. And if Manny Diaz somehow gets, like, if he out if he gets acquires more talent than Dan Mullen over the next few years, then definitely Miami will overtake because, like, you can just out talent Florida at that rate. Even though we saw with uh, Alabama versus Florida last year that you can game plan against talent with Dan Mullen. And especially if you have a good quarterback behind. So if you have good court, a good you know Heisman you know level quarterback, and Dan Mullen's game planning, it definitely can be competitive, and you can definitely have a chance to win. But we can't rely on that all the time. So we need to have a good amount of talent on our teams to be able to compete against teams with a little bit more talent, like a Miami or or Alabama, for example. But my stance is mainly uh, my answer to that was I would I would think to. S- to see FSU over Miami in the next how many years you want to put it on whenever Mike Norvell, however Mike Norvell, you know, does it, you know, in recruiting X's and O's, whatever. But I think I'm going to give him benefit of the doubt just because we haven't seen him long enough in uh, FSU. And I think he has potential there. I mean, I, I don't, I don't want to like, I mean, we have the set data points with, with, uh, Manny Diaz and Miami, but I think FSU has a chance, and especially you saw their most recent recruiting uh, recruiting class, that they aren't doing too bad in recruiting relative to the nation. You know, I'm actually going to pull that up real quick, so I'm not saying it, but I, I think they're not doing too bad relative to what the um, what I remember from like watching the the recruiting and stuff. But yeah, I don't think they're doing too bad, and I think eventually once they get enough talent, and you know, they even they could rely on the transfer market. I they could. But I don't know how well they can do it compared to Florida and Miami. Uh, Florida and Miami, who actually pull more of the transfers than that, um, that uh, than than uh, Florida State. I mean, they're actually okay. I looked at it right now. They're twenty third, and I think that's pretty good considering I think their last recruiting class was actually way lower, if I remember right. Yeah, like no, actually they were about the same. Um, they're twenty twenty second, so I think they're around that. But I think. With a, give them a few more years, they'll be up there in the top fifteen, top twenty, uh, top tw- I guarantee top twenty, and maybe probably pushing top fifteen. Um, and yeah, I think they'll be able to overtake Miami, especially. I don't think Manny Diaz has the chance to be to gain longevity in Miami. I mean, I think he's doing a really good job so far, and the reason why I just want to pull this point uh, it seems a little weak but i just like this is just my gut feeling based on potential but also going to another point later but this is also another thing about my many diaz's uh many diaz's recruiting in 2021 his two five stars were from the same school and they were probably pulling for each other to go to the same school and i think that's how they got the landed the two five stars they did which is a good way to recruit like you know you should get your your buddies that are all five stars like try to go to the same school but i would also say like how would you be able to recruit solo five stars to come to Miami and like get more five stars? Like, you know, Ohio state does or a Clemson or an Alabama does like they're relying on just like word to mouth type of thing. They're not individually recruiting these five stars. Well, so I'd say it's about the same as Florida. Like, so I think the recruiting is on par, but I think my idea is a step higher than Dan Mullen. But then when it comes to the next part, which I look at is X and X's and O's Dan Mullen, 
outcoaches everybody. And I think Dan, uh, Mike Norvell has a chance, especially once he gets his guys in there. And especially when he has like a, a year or two more, I think he'll be able to put his game plan into action and be able to utilize his talents to the fullest potential and be able to, you know, do better than he has in the past compared to his past records. But yeah, I think he has potential there as with X's and O's. I think Manny Diaz has shown what he has, like his highest potential, especially since he had Derek, Derek King, like an, an amazing quarterback uh, behind the helm. And I think that's one of the reasons why he's doing really well. Like, I feel like he hasn't recruited. I don't, I don't think he's recruited a his own quarterback yet. I think he's been mainly using Derek King. I don't want to like say that set in stone, but I I thinking I don't remember I can't remember any any like his last time that he's recruited a like a, like a like a top level quarterback like you know example Florida recruited Emory Jones. And I think the same with actually Mike Norvell because they just they just got the transfer of Mackenzie Milton, which is probably going to be their starting quarterback next year. So I don't really know. Actually, maybe maybe there's a lot of questions with the Florida with the Florida the Florida teams just because you see that I've seen this like graph that going around all over social media with all the the big you know national uh, podcasting and news sites that all, like the state the level of talent in Florida that stays in Florida like it goes to all the schools in Florida has been steadily declining. You know, ever since whatever year they marked it, you know, it's it's always been declining. But they see like you know the Florida the kids who are in Florida see, you know, Alabama success, Clemson success, Ohio State's success, and they want to go join that and be a part of that and be trained by some of the best in the industry like Nick Saban. And there's no pull to stay home. You know they you know everyone says they want to stay home, but there's no reason. Like, I guess there is reasons to stay home, but there's no like solid, like competitive reason. Because you can compete somewhere else and like win championships and show off your skills on a on a on a big team on a national level, uh, you know you still have you know Florida and Miami as national like teams like you're on national TV but like you don't get to like get that pull that like you know I was like at Alabama saying that you were like at Alabama or Clemson, you know I was on that championship level t- competing team and like that really like opens the eyes for some you know recruiters in the NFL and stuff. So yeah, they really. Florida, the teams in Florida really need to improve their recruiting and keep the guys home. Like I said a couple weeks ago, create a wall around Florida, just like what Mac jo- uh, Mac Mac Brown has done around North Carolina, and try to hold all those North Carolina recruits in. I feel like the three Miami, uh, three Florida schools need to hold their talent in, in state, and create a wall around uh, create a wall around Florida to be able to hold those recru- um, those. Um, those kids in and be able to recruit all the guys in Florida and also, you know, pick guys out from like, you know, Alabama, Louisiana, Georgia, all those guys and bring them to Florida to acquire more talent and just be on the level of Nick Saban as in the sense of talent. That's the thing they need to do. You know, it's a lot harder because Florida is a lot bigger of a state and there's not, and there's a lot more talent that is nationally, you know, recognized and also like looked at by every single school. So that's, it's a lot harder to hold that compared to North Carolina. But I think since there's three schools there, I think there's a chance they could do that and recruit really well. So, yeah, and, the, you know, I talked about potential already, but I think Mike Norvell has a better chance uh, potential-wise than Manny Diaz because I think we've seen what the what capabilities Manny Diaz has, but we haven't seen it from Mike Norvell yet. That's what I'm holding on to. That's why my argument. You know, I don't want to – I'm going off potential, as I said. Like, I'm not going off, like, set data points like Manny Diaz has or Dan Mullen has. I think um, Mike Norvell is the new kid in the group. I think he'll eventually, 
you know, take a few st- uh, steps up to, you know, compete on a high level in the state of Florida, you know, even win some games against Miami because they're both in the same conference. And especially since Florida State plays Miami, uh, Florida every year, we'll see how their progress is compared to Florida, which is, a, you know, a very competitive team. Have to, they have to play Georgia every year and every SEC team. So I think, my, uh, you know, if they get competitive with Florida again and they show that they're talented, like by the time they have to play Florida ever, ever, at the end of the year every year, That'll show my pro- that'll like just I guess prove my point later. You know, I maybe come back to this point. Like this is just a hot take I have on this uh, question I posed. But yeah, I, I really think Florida State has the capabilities to become to come back to what they were in like you know 2013. I think it was 2013 when they had James Winston and all that when they won the national championship. They have the they have the chance and they've won recently compared to Miami has the last time they won a national championship, which I think is 2002. Uh, I'm don't quote me on that. I'm actually gonna look that up right now, just so I don't, you know, say the wrong thing. Uh, national champion championship. They last time they won one was in 2001. There you go. Uh, not 2002, 2001. So they definitely, I guess, FSU does have that recency bias in that, and that they have won more recently than Florida and Miami, because Florida has the last one they won was in 2008 with Tim Tebow. So I guess like it all relies on whoever gets the bet, like the star slash Heisman level quarterback first it seems like because I seem like it seems like every team in Florida has a chance to win the national championship especially with the talent they acquire in Florida every year they just need that Heisman level quarterback just like Florida had last year to win have a chance to win especially since now we have a lot more uh big teams to worry about like you know example I've been saying this again Ohio State Clemson uh Alabama, and then of course we have a new guy, a uh, new player in Oklahoma that's been acquiring a lot of talent recently in the transfer portal. That could be another threat for these Florida teams to try to make a national championship run. So, in conclusion, I think FSU will overtake Miami as the number two team in Florida, and Miami will—they'll still be good. I'm not going to say they're going to fall, but I think they're going to be really good. I think this Florida State will be better than them. So I think Miami will be, still be really good. I think they've—they're not going to like exponentially increase as much as I think my uh, FSU and Mike Norvell will do. And I think they'll eventually hit the two spot. I don't think they're going to pass Florida's one, but I think they'll definitely be able to be a number two in the state of Florida. But yeah, that's the end of, you know, that's like, I just wanted to clear up some of my, my opinions on those two topics that get talked about a lot in the national media stage. Well, mainly the Dan Mullen thing, but also like the talking about the state of Florida. And I just wanted to clear up my opinion on that, but yeah, that's all it is. And I will see y'all next week. I don't know what I'm going to be talking about next week, but yeah, I'll let you, I'll come up with it. Whatever, whatever news comes out of Florida, especially with the press conferences and spring uh, spring practice, I'll definitely talk about that. But yeah, until next week, guys. Peace.